haven't met you yet. My name is, is Matt, and um, it's a joy to have you here. We're in this series called Blessed Are. And as the greeters continue to receive the offering, I want us to just kind of prepare our, our hearts a bit as we're going to be continuing on in the Beatitudes. The Beatitude we're looking at this morning, in my opinion, is the most relevant one for our culture. It's, a, it's probably the Beatitude that we least understand and uh, most often ignore, I would say. And so we'll, we'll just go into it like, like George is bringing us. Matthew 5, 6, in the New Living Translation says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you, you are in control. And you, you set this world in motion. You made us as your image bearers. Jesus, you taught us how to live and gave us these words. Holy Spirit, you make these words come to life. And we ask that you would do that in this space here this morning. We ask that you would work on our ears so that we can hear you. You would work on our eyes so we can see you. And most of all, that you would work on our hearts so that they'd be changed to recognize you and follow you. In your name, amen. So we've got three issues, I think, with this. First of all, we don't know what it means to be satisfied. Hamilton points that out, right? We've got issues with justice. But where we start is our culture is super weird about hunger and thirst. Super weird about it. Hunger and thirst is actually a dividing line for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's a, it's a cultural dividing line. Because there are some of us where the ideas of actual hunger and actual thirst are completely foreign to us. And there are others where that is just our default mode of living. We live hungry. We live thirsty. I've met a few people who have lived with such chronic dehydration that they didn't know that water was good for them, that they didn't know that they lived with headaches, that kind of level. But it's a dividing line for us. And so one point that we have to make clear at the very beginning is this, and it might seem silly, but I mean it. Feeling not full is not the same as hunger. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Feeling not full is not the same as hunger. And I don't think we know this. I, I've had this with my kids a, a few times where they, like, all of a sudden get super hangry. And they're like, I'm dying. And like, no, you're just not currently full. That's all this is. You're just not full and you don't know what to do with it because we live so full, I believe, out of fear. And out of, like, we cope with every emotion with food. Just as a culture. Maybe you don't, but culturally, we kind of do. If we can, that's what we do. And so as soon as there's a tiny gap in us and room for something more, we snack. 
we grab a soda, which is like kind of empty calories that kind of fit their way around everything, right? And we live full for fear of hunger. For many of us, as soon as we don't feel stuffed, we start thinking about our next meal. But real hunger looks very different than this. When you're sitting with someone who has real hunger, or if you are sitting here really hunger, hungry, I know that that means that you calculate movement. You decide how far you're going to go because of how many calories you have in you. Sometimes when we feed in here, I'm, I'm moved and I'm humbled because I think of bringing things like soda and nobody takes that. They're smart. People who are actually hungry know what their body needs. And they fill on things that actually sustain them. Oftentimes we'll have water bottles out and water bottles go into their bag. But they're not going to fill their stomach with water when there's food available. So they'll eat food and then drink water. Because the water bottle will last a little bit. When you're really hungry... You strategize on how you'll eat and how you'll meet that hunger. When you're really hungry, your mind is impacted. You actually think different. You feel different. When there's actual hunger in you, your body gets numb to the feeling of hunger. Your physical body starts to shut down a little bit. And you don't feel the hunger, you just don't really feel Your body tells itself it can't burn calories anymore because it doesn't have any to lose. And so your body just starts to shut down when you're hungry. So you you guys know this, but I've been able to lead quite a few trips to, to Ethiopia. When we go to Ethiopia, one of the things that's striking to a lot of people right away, people from the U.S., is that you see hunger. And you see people who are hungry all over the place, and it is overwhelming. And I hope you understand, probably, nobody from this church when we go, but probably every other church that I've ever gone with, and somebody has gained weight on the trip. We go to Ethiopia and gain weight. But it makes a lot of sense. I'm not picking on weight here. I'm just saying, like, we gain weight because we see hunger, and we're afraid that it's contagious. We see someone who's hungry, and we don't know what to do, and we just don't want to be there. So we eat more. And we talk more, about, and we find food that we like, and then we eat like three times what we need because we're so afraid that hunger is contagious. Now, let me be more honest. I don't think it's just that we're afraid that hunger is contagious. I think we're afraid that injustice is contagious. That person is experiencing injustice, and I see it, and I'm afraid that I will experience the same. Hunger in our world is a justice issue. It just is. There is enough land to grow enough food for everyone to have food. There is. Some of us might have to change what we eat. Some of us might change what we store to eat in future months. But there is enough land to grow enough food for everyone to have their fill. 
And so it's not that there's too many people. It's, it's an issue of justice. There are too many haves who keep. Now, I've had people ask, why, why do you go to Ethiopia? And why do you draw attention to hunger in Ethiopia? Well, the trick of justice and the trick of injustice is cultures are set up to not recognize injustice in our own culture. Part of injustice is not seeing with dignity, is not recognizing the need. And so, sadly, we go to another culture to see injustice only to come home and recognize it in our own backyard. We go somewhere else to recognize, oh, there is hunger and there is pain and there is trafficking and there is injustice to come here and say, oh, there is hunger and there is pain and there is trafficking and there is injustice. Except systems are set up to, like, cloud some of this, right? I know this is kind of deep stuff, but we need to talk about it. We are the church. Systems are set up to make people who experience injustice be like chameleons. So you just don't see them. And if you have lived for a minute as a have, you know that you will risk nearly everything to remain a have, and you quickly are taught to not recognize a have not, or a have less, or a taken from. You get what I'm saying? And Jesus says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. In my experience, which is very limited, but my experience getting to know people particularly who are hungry, they are not hungry just for another meal, but they're really hungry for justice. They're hungry for an end to this. They know that there are garbage pails that have food that they would have loved to eat yesterday, but they didn't have access yesterday, and so it spoiled overnight, and now it's garbage. I had a gentleman come in here last Sunday. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but people just come to the door constantly, and if the door's open, people come in. Thankfully, we have that reputation here. A gentleman that we've gotten to know came in here, uh, and he said, do you have any food? We happen to have some pasta and some Caesar salad. And he said, do you know how expensive Caesar salad is? And you have it just set here. And he ate like a king for like an hour and a half. Cramming croutons in every bit of his empty belly. And he just gave me some perspective that like, yeah, that's fresh food. That's, that's rich food. And, and Carl was just a gift to me that day. Uh, so if people are hungry for justice, and if Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, then what is justice? That's the question. So philosophers say that justice is fairness and correct treatment and equitable distribution of resources. That's why I say we're unjust. Make some sense? <laughs> Philosophy which is not Christianity, says fairness, correct treatment, and equitable distribution of resources. Roman culture that Jesus lived in said that justice was marked by self-control and courage and wisdom in the distribution. I would say that's why we're unjust. 
We are not showing self-control, wisdom, or courage when it comes to our resources. That's why I hold on to a ton of stuff. I'm not courageous. That's why we've got freezer upon freezer upon freezer. Because our faith is, is a bit shaken. We get a little nervous. In Jewish culture, justice is within the, what is called the covenantal f- framework, which means this. God made a promise to his people. I will be your God. You will be my people. But he also had the people make a promise to their people. You will be my people and I will be your people. And justice was within that community, everybody saying, hey, you're God's and I'm God's, so let's figure this out together. And when you're lacking, well, I, I step in. And when I'm lacking, you step in. And we make sure that we don't trip each other up. And it, there was such high commitment, there was even things called cities of refuge set up within Israel. Where if you had committed a crime, if you had done something, you can go to that city and get covering and protection and, and be rehabilitated in a real dignified kind of way. Where you knew justice. And that didn't take away circumstances. But dignity was never taken away. You may know, and I hope you know, Nabar, who was a philosopher, a scholar, a Christian leader. He said, justice is love approximated, a balance of power among competing groups. Neighbor was an influencer of Dr. King, and Dr. King made it more simple and said, love in a society is named justice. If we love one another, and if we're in community, if we're in a society, then that looks like justice. That's what love is. And so justice is systemic and specific. It's one time, but it's also all time. And sadly, we know that injustice is systemic, but it's also specific. And injustice is one time, but it's also chronic. Where people who know injustice just chronically no injustice and if you maybe you don't know food injustice but you know injustice you would know that sometimes you are so hungry that you're numb to the pain sometimes you're so hungry that you've just forgotten what it feels like to be full but please don't take your eyes off justice please don't lose hope Injustice and begin to fill up on things like Cheetos, things that won't satisfy. Our God is a God of justice. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses says these words. I want you to, to hear them. Moses says, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teachings Drop like the rain, my speech condense like the dew, like gentle rain on grass, like showers on new growth. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. And then he says, the rock, not Dwayne Johnson, but God. His work is perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God without deceit, just 
and upright is he. So there's more that we're going to say in a minute. But sometimes we need to stop. And today is one of those days that we just need to stop. Because there are people in this room who know injustice. And there are some of you who have been hungry for a long time for justice. And you've been thirsty for a long time for justice. And the comment or the conversation starts and we start on the topic and it just makes your stomach growl to see this happen. And so if that's you, I want to ask you not to give up. And I want to ask you to have courage. And we have a couple friends who are going to come up and lead us in a a couple songs. And these songs have been sung by people who were desperate for justice. These are songs who were written and sung by people who, who desperately needed God to be just and systems to become just. And so if you are one who hungers and thirsts for justice, may this give you a taste. Or may this at least remind you that you're not alone in it. But our mothers and fathers have gone before us hungering for justice. If you're somebody who this idea is somewhat foreign, then this is like a peek behind the curtain. The people before us have ached and God has met that ache, but it doesn't solve everything of justice yet. And we are aching for the kingdom. And if you're beginning to ache, don't turn that ache off. And so George, Miss Jackie, will you come up and lead us in a couple songs? I want to invite you, engage with your whole heart. If that means sitting, if that means crying, if that means standing and singing, whatever that looks like, let's worship together as people who are taking a step towards the God of justice, okay? Walk with me, Lord, please walk with me.
couldn't keep it to myself Oh, what the Lord has done for me You ought to been there Well, you ought to been there He saved my soul He saved my soul You ought to been there
Let's take a second to pray together. God, will you let that be? So many of your daughters and your sons before us hungered and thirst for justice. And they got a taste, but they didn't yet have their fill. And now you're waking in our hearts a desire for the same justice. When you give us the courage to not be satisfied until you satisfy that need. This image of hand-in-hand walking, would you make that a reality? Would these songs that were sung in the midst of such deep pain, would they be our triumphal songs? May we know the deep joy that those who went before us knew. May we be comforted by you alone. Thanks. In your name. Amen. Well, thank you, friends. Um, As we got to this passage in Matthew, I know some of you opened up your devices and your Bibles, and one or two of you might have thought, my Bible says righteousness, not justice. One one or two of you might have thought, that's cute, all that you just did, but you did the wrong word. And if that's what you thought, my Bible says righteousness too. The Bible that I teach from, the NRSV most often, said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But this makes us dig into Greek for a second, okay? Honest, it's just like, okay, it's more than a second, but less than a minute. In the Greek, there are two words for justice. I'm not even going to pretend to say them because I don't know how. But I know them. There's two words for justice. And in the Greek, there is one word for righteousness. And it happens to be one of the two words for justice. So there's a distinct word that only means justice. And there's another word that means either righteousness or justice or both. And the people who compile and write our, our scriptures have to pick. And some translations have chosen that one word that only means justice. Every time that appears, they're going to put justice. And when that other word appears that means righteousness plus justice, they only put righteousness. But that means something vastly different to us. And it ends up being like a trick. See, I grew up taught that righteousness meant that I had to keep my hands clean. That I had to approximate God be as like him as I could in morality, show as close as I can get. But that, that isn't even what the Jewish understanding of righteousness meant. That isn't even what Jesus meant by righteousness. Righteousness, in, in the way that Scripture means it, is back to that covenantal relationship. What it means is if I'm in relationship with you, then that code that we've agreed to, I'm not going to break it because I want you to be able to trust me. And so I'm not going to lie because we've agreed to not lie. And so I'm going to live righteous so that you can trust 
and not have to worry about all of that. I'm not going to steal from you, because not because I'm so morally pure, but because we are in covenantal relationship with one another, and I hurt you if I steal from you, so I am not going to steal from you. So the end result is, yeah, my hands are pretty clean because I'm not lying and stealing. But the motive is not so that I can approximate God, but so that you can trust me and so that I can come to God and be like, hey, I'm best I can. I'm holding my end of the covenant. That's righteousness. Does that make some sense? Does that make a little more sense than what we were doing previously? Because when the little checklist comes out, I can't do it. And to be motivated by just having a little less sin in my life for my own little checklist is not very motivating. But when I look at you and say, okay, I want to be like Christ for you and for us, well, all of a sudden, okay, that matters. But this word righteousness, there's a point in church history called the Reformation, which had some positives, definitely, but there was a negative that happened. And it pulled righteousness out of the relational component completely and it made righteousness like a little bit of a mathematic morality it was just you try to be better than the person next to you it's an individual thing it's just you and Jesus and you just try to hold to the codes and this is where I find us in our culture where we look down on one another And we judge the perceived morality of others. Especially we judge the morality of the have-lesses or the have-nots or the taken-froms. Howard Thurman was writing in perspective of the have-nots. And and he said that for the people he's writing in, in being a voice for, he said, not to be killed becomes the great end. The goal is to not be killed. And morality takes its meaning from that center. I think in our culture, there's some of this that happens. And sadly, the haves sometimes look at this and say, look at that corrupted morality, but it comes from a different center. It comes from a different place. It comes from a different purpose. And this small personal righteousness that we picked up from the Reformation in our own work, I would argue is not even biblical. And at best, it produces good little clones of one another. But the gospel, the gospel breathes life into giants. The gospel awakens people who maybe have not or have little or who have been taken from or maybe even have but are having their eyes opened and allows them to see themselves as image bearers where all of a sudden the limits of time, space, money, culture, systems, all of those limits are stripped off and the limit becomes may your kingdom come and your will be done. That's what this is about here. So you, me, we're told exactly what is asked of us. In Micah 6, 8, you know this. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is our aim, guys.
So here's the point. In this beatitude, Jesus is not looking on the mountainside, and he is not speaking about your personal piety. It's great if your hands are clean. That's great. You're probably easier to be in community with. But he's not speaking about that. He's speaking to folks who are desperate for justice. He's speaking to people whose bodies are changed by their hunger and their thirst for justice. And he announces good news. And it is good news, but it should also alarm some of us. This good news should be alarming to our culture because it means some of what we're built on has to crumble. And here's what is announced. Blessed. Access to the kingdom and happiness is for those who hunger and thirst for justice. Those who feel downtrodden, beaten, judged, forgotten. And why are they blessed? If that's you, why are you blessed? Because you'll be filled. You get that? (laughs) You will be filled, not with Cheetos. You will be filled If you are hungry for justice, you will be filled. And this father who is a good father will not trick you and fill you with things that are not satisfying. He will fill you with justice. That is like the best news. And if we are not bent towards justice, that should be terrifying news. That the God of all power is saying to those who are hungry and thirsty for justice, you will be filled. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. So what do we do with this? It's a little heavy. I didn't have any jokes to tell you or anything. But George talked about farts, so we're okay. (laughs) But what do we do with this? Some of us, this is brand new. Not, not many, but some of us, this might be like, I don't really think about implications of this. Okay, well, tonight we got a small group starting. And I'll tell you, the, the thing to do is the last Sunday of every month from 5.30 to 7.30, be at Mike's house. Amen. Let's start learning. If you are well along this journey, continue learning. 5.30 to 7.30. Talk to Mike to get his address, myself. Um, Be there. We're starting this week, so you haven't missed anything. For those of us who don't know hunger, like myself, I've seen it. But I honestly, I only know not being full. I don't know real hunger. Except when I strategically chose to fast because I chose it. That's different. We're not talking about that. For those of you who don't know hunger, particularly on the issue of justice, if you can turn on and off your justice meter then my invitation to you is let's repent. Whether we did this knowingly or unknowingly, let's repent and say, okay, Lord, bless my eyes. Let me start to see this. Bless my ears. Give me courage to continue on. Like, let's do like a couch to 5K on justice and start learning how to care in the long term on this. Learn to start to ache on this. If you're with me on this, let's repent. Let's together do this. Let's take this season of Lent leading up to Easter to become the people who hunger and thirst for justice. Let's do it. What else are we going to do? We've got the time. For those of you who have hungered for so long that you forgot that you're hungry, 
I want to invite you to pray the dangerous prayer that God might remind you that you're hungry. Injustice might be so familiar that you've just made a home there. And I want to invite you to dream of dignity again. To dream that there's healing. I know that requires courage. But I want to encourage you to to pray towards that. For some of us, it might be time to lean into Jesus for the first time or the hundredth time to ask him to do what only he can do, to ask him to fill us in a way that we've never had before. But I believe as one church becomes who one church is invited to be, this is one of the promises that Jesus spoke over his children that we will inherit. So blessed are you who hunger and thirst for justice, whether that's been your whole life or your first day is tomorrow, because you will be filled. We have a few people who will pray with you. Uh, They're going to stand and go around the room. Um, The worship team is going to come forward. And I want to invite all of us to, to stand to our feet. I want to pray over us, and um, we'll sing this song. As my prayer concludes, go ahead and come up and pray with uh, Jamel. I'll go in the back. Um, let me pray for us.